and we are live with another episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. This is number 117. I don't know if Ken and I ever thought that we would actually get this far, uh, but this will be our holiday episode for 2020. Um, I think you said it's number 30 for this year, Ken. I can't remember. It was something like that. Uh, We're still both a little, uh, I I guess, hungover from Midwinter Nights Con, right? You know, after last week and everything that went on with that. this this will be a rather low key episode. We don't have a lot of announcements or anything like that, other than happy holidays. Uh, thanks for joining us as always. Um, as we're here, we got a few topics that we wanted to discuss today, and yeah. But other outside of that, the uh, the videos for Midwinter Nights Con have been cut up and are on our YouTube channel, Absolute Appsec, or yeah, YouTube.com slash Absolute Appsec. Um, so go take a look at those. I think we're going to reprise some of that today and talk about what we liked and um, what was impressive to us and at least spoke to us from a security perspective for the conference. Um, yeah, Ken, am I missing anything? No, I don't think so. Uh, well, just this is the last podcast of the year. So for us, obviously. Not for all podcasts. <laughs> no, this is it for all podcasts. Today's it. Today's it. it. This is the be all. We're just calling 2020 after this. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I feel still feel very tired from uh last week's activities. So I don't know that I ever full I have not fully recovered yet, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we had a couple of weeks off uh, you know, prior to that. I had some life st- life stuff happen and you know, I've just been kind of out of it, right? Uh so it feels good to kind of to get back to it. Uh, this week to actually talk about some security topics. Um, obviously, the big news this last week is Solar Winds, right? And I it, like I at least have to bring it up because you know I was you know I was at the doctor you know just yesterday, and when the doctor asks me about you know this hack, <laughs> it's yeah. probably something that we should at least address because it is such a you know a huge huge issue. Ken, I know you've been reading up on it a little bit. Um, but uh, like, do you have any thoughts? Like I pulled up one of the walkthroughs. It looks like it's from TrueSec on the supply chain attack, but, uh, like what, what are your thoughts there so far on solar winds and what's going on in the, uh, with neural thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, I've only gotten through reading a little bit about it. Um, but when it was originally, I think when, when, cause I had the same thing, I have friends that are not techies and they kind of like look to ask questions of me about these things. And anyways, like uh, when they did that, I, I, you know, I was like, well, it's probably some config file that points to a server that was overwritten or something simple in the software that was not too difficult to exploit. Um, oh, I see your, your link there. Uh, that's cool. Anyways. Um, so like before any details even came out, I was pretty much of the mindset. It's probably something, um, fairly simple software security wise, 
um, that that is. I think it was an exploit of. I'm trying to catch up on the actual like issue itself, um, but wasn't it an issue with the uh, updates, like uh, with the update server. I, I by the way, when I say I read up on it, I've been reading up more on the um, uh, the, the the secondary bit here about VM, how VMware um, flaws. Uh, and the Orion software uh, hack, uh, SolarWinds Orion software. Sorry, I'm very tired. If, if you can't tell uh, how the two kind of played together, which was I think yeah. a little bit more interesting to me, just because they mentioned things like using SAML signing certificates, like so using active, um, basically exploiting the uh, ability to mint tokens, you know, via SAML. Um, with the elevated Active Directory permissions, and then just any service that relied upon those um, tokens being valid uh, can then further be exploited, right? Because you can mint yourself any access uh, for those uh, mint any mint a token with any with access to any of those services that are that are relying upon. Um, yeah, that. So I thought that was more interesting. Um, but yeah, so like for the uh, initial issue though, uh, it was an issue, issue with the software update, right? Or am yeah, I well, it was a, I mean, it's a supply chain attack, right? It was, right. they were able to inject uh, malicious content into the update and it was signed by SolarWinds and then it got it pushed into that plugin. And that's what that article, like I posted, if you go and dig into the technical background, right? That's exactly what it says, um, right? <laughs> Did, um, yeah. Yeah. Existing so, plugin. So they modified the source of an existing plugin. Oh, mm -hmm. and then the the plugin was signed as part of the as update. part of the update. Yeah. And so they they were saying it was part of a third party, um, or a, yeah, a third party development firm, right? Because um, mm -hmm. they had outsourced their development to, I, I in somewhere in you know Eastern Europe. Right, like looking to cut costs and ended up biting them in the butt, right? Realistically is what happened. Um, somebody found a, a way to actually push that in and then it, you know, it escalated from there. But that was the initial vector was a supply chain attack. And I don't know, I sent that to you, I think yesterday, that XKCD, right? That Yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, I should, we, we, we should, we should post that too, because that, that feels very apropos here is... <laughs> So how did they um, slip in their update to the um, plugin? How they slip it in? Well, they were developers for SolarWinds, right? They had the ability to do it. So they created a backdoor and then pushed that update out, right? Mm -hmm. It was trusting a third party that they probably should not have. Well, then Clea's talk seems even more timely. Yeah. Oh, it does. It does, right? And um, yeah, if you haven't seen that. Oh, let me, let me link to that, by the way. Clea's talk. Yeah, link link to Clea's talk. That's insider threat, right? But it is definitely uh, a, a relevant topic, right? I, like I was really impressed with Clea actually, and you know we've worked with Clea in the past um, as she was getting into the industry, and all right, like you now now she's better than us at identifying some of the stuff, right? It's it's awesome to see and to hear. But. Yeah, now that was um fun to watch. But it's it's um it's interesting how, yeah, 
Actually, let me post the XKCD because for what we're probably going to talk about it, it's very timely because it's like talking about some in the terms of supply chain attacks. Like it's funny how many additional follow up attack vectors and persistence were used just from this initial like you know exploit. Um, but let me put that in there just because I think it's, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, supply chain attacks are awesome and horrible at the same time. Which is, again, just to reiterate, a good reason why you should have uh, asset management um, and not just asset management about knowing your URLs and whatnot, but actual versions that you can quickly figure out versions of what is what versions of whatever is running and where it's running and all that stuff. So you can quickly triage these types of issues. This just underscores the importance of that. But like, man. I mean, we've seen you, you've got like Black Duck and you've got, you know, SNCC and you've got these companies that are built around securing libraries that we use. But what could be done in this case? You know, I mean, other than obviously um, profiling, maybe the behavior of the plugin and saying, like, yeah. hey, if it does network communication, like if this didn't do net, didn't make you know, request outbound or didn't do like, I don't, I don't know, since I can't look at the code, it's hard to, um, or well, I'm sure I can, but I haven't looked at the code. So, uh, I don't really know what signatures they could have been looking for, but obviously if there's some simple things you can do, if a library was doing no command line system, if it was doing no system commands before, or it was making no, uh, calls out before. And now it is like, that's, somewhat of an indicator but i just what do you think man do you think this seems like this seems like a hard problem to solve what are your what, what are your thoughts yeah it does right like i I'm, i kind of go back to the process um because i like i don't think you solve it any other way is okay you've got plugins you've got a series of code that you're pushing out from a you know a semi-trusted party um but there's got to be checks and balances in place into as, as far as what that code actually does and whether it matches up with your expectations. Um, and, but that I like, this is still a really hard problem because I, I see companies struggle with this all the time, even like internal devs, right? Any, any time, anytime you have an insider that you trust um, that uh breaking of that trust is going to cause issues, right? It just turns out that this was a very severe issue that got propagated and propagated. So yeah, I, I mean, without like some sort of an independent code review on that as it goes out or like an internal code review, internal like functionality check, um, some sort of a, you know, watching for negative case, test cases, that's where it gets difficult, right? Like you throw something like this into your QA, you know, process and the QA process is just going to run the tests that are associated with it. So if they've tested the backdoor out properly um, and they've, you know, obfuscated and hidden it, it's going to be very hard to see that it's, it's actually instantiating and something is happening that you do not intend. Most likely it ran through the, the normal test suite and it said, look, you know, that plugin looks like it's acting like it should be. So they just went ahead and pushed it out and included it in the update, signed it and went along their merry way. Uh, I don't know. Like it, it, you're right. It's, it's a, that's a difficult problem to solve because you're looking for um, behavior 
that's outside your normal test case suite. Uh, like, hey, the, you know, the plugin should not be reaching out to the internet. Um, but, you know, if you're running test suite, you know, on your local system and it's already all blocked up and like has no path out to the internet, uh, you're not going to notice that anything actually happened. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good point, too, is paying attention to, I mean, because, you know, we're talking about this at an application security level, but yeah, I mean, obviously, there's plenty of network level things yeah. that you should be able to do to then detect anomal anomalous behavior. Is that, is that uh, a correct word? I hope I'm using that right. I don't know. I feel brain dead. <laughs> Yeah, no, you are, right? You, you're, it's detecting anomalous behavior. It's almost like you've got to create a, a threat hunting process during your build pipeline, right? Like within your build pipeline to see what's going on, or you've got to validate everything that's going into that, right? Those are those seem to be the, the kind of two things that I would be looking for. Um, you know, let's yeah, it, it's... It's just not an easy problem to solve, but um, can I just also say I had no idea Solar Winds, <laughs> Solar <laughs> so Winds was still around. <laughs> no, I didn't even know it was still around. I, 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 man, dude, I got my CCNA in like 2005 or something like that, and like networking life was kind of for me back then, and I remember Solar Winds. And I think I just thought they kind of just went away um, with time and didn't really know that they. So to me, this is a surprise that SolarWinds still exists. So yeah, what it's worth. Oh, yeah. Also, I mean, when was, yeah. When oh, was yeah, the last time you actually heard the, uh, you know, heard about SolarWinds? I, like I was thinking that same thing at one point, right? Like it was, man, yeah, I, I knew it was still in use, but I didn't realize how prevalent it was. And I think that was probably a surprise for a lot of people in the industry. Um, but you could probably say the same thing for a lot of those older vendors, right? Like if you start talking about Symantec or McAfee, like from back in the day, they still have agents that are running everywhere. Um, and, you know, that's old code that that's floating around. Yeah, we did. We did get uh, this one question, by the way. Uh, would, yeah. chaos, would a chaos engineering experiment that makes calls to random IP addresses be appropriate here? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like one way to test your security controls within your build pipeline. Um, that's a good point. Uh, you could do that just to just, I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Using chaos engineering to implant fake backdoors to see if your pipeline catches it. That's yeah. an interesting thought. Or even like signatures. I like, okay, so that again, that goes back to what Aaron spoke about during, you know, midwinter nights, right? Like the mm -hmm. security chaos engineering is, is almost what we need there. So within the pipeline, not just, you know, Hey, in your cloud environment or within Kubernetes or whatever else, like whatever, you know, hot topic you want to talk about. Um, but throwing that into what's the worst that can happen. And, uh, so, and th this is, th that's what this always goes back to, right? Is, from a modeling perspective, and again, okay, you know, what Stefan talked about, like modeling everything out, you know, mm -hmm. but have you done a threat model on 
like using a third party for developing plugins for your software, right? Like when, when you picked up that firm, did you really think about the true effects of what could happen if a malicious insider is able to insert code? Because it feels like maybe if they had that discussion, they decided it wasn't. But somewhere along the lines, they misclassified the threat that was associated with using that third party, right? Otherwise, they would have put more controls on it. And I know it's as, it's kind of a zero-sum game with security. We have a tendency to, you know, focus on whatever the latest and greatest hack was and put more engineering effort towards that. So there'll be a lot more discussion about third-party trust, I'm sure, in the days to come. Uh, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to say hopefully there. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Did uh, did SolarWinds uh, stock go up or down? Right, like that's the question. <laughs> yeah, you're, and it's not a terrible question. It's not an unrealistic question. I mean, um, yeah, it's it's definitely so. And, and I should also add that the people that reached out to me to ask about it, who are non technical, mm-hmm. um, I think it's. So I think it's an inopportune time for it to happen is why I think politically. Yeah. Um, so they, they kind of like brought it into the whole, you know, does this affect um, uh, like fraud with voting since like the government's attacked. And I've heard some pretty uh, interesting, interesting theories about it. But the reality is like, I was like, you know, there are lots of things to be gained through one of these hacks they happen all the time this is not it, it it's i hate to just like play it play it down but i guess just after a while how how it's hard to it's hard to be super invested in these things because other than to, to get a takeaway of what could be done differently you know yeah i i guess at this point it's, it's sort of like well this stuff happened I, I hate to say it but it's true it, it happens it's going to continue to happen best you can do is try and plan as you know, as best as you can around that, try and use the the least privilege sort of security model, um, so that these things don't get out of hand. Which I again, I think that's the more interesting part is all of the follow up. Let me post one of the, the articles about this with Kreb. Kreb's um, security had uh, put together with around um, VMware Workspace One being uh, compromised through pivoting off of this uh, initial vuln. So that, so I think that that's just for me, I think it's like more interesting in terms of, uh, just what, um, what's possible, what can we do next time to prevent it? And, you know, not trying to minimize just sort of, I'm a little used to this. I think this is the one, I think the Samuels bit that I mentioned earlier is interesting as well. Also, I did want to mention, this is totally off subject, but we are, Seth and I will be playing around with our video and trying to get a little fine tuned. So if I'm, if I'm dark on camera today, uh, I'm fixing it. It's just, we're playing around with new setup. Seth's going to be playing around with his new setup soon. So we're just trying to, you know, we're we're getting super professional. Yeah. 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 And I like, I also like, I don't know. I, this goes back to discussions we had with Jerry Gamblin, right? Like on breaches as well, you know, is, you know, at what point do you just kind of like, you know, if a breach happened and and no one cares, was it really a breach? Right? Like obviously the political climate right now makes for 
a good news story and, you know, spins up all the conspiracy theories and everything that's, that's currently going on in our, you know, in, in the world landscape right now. Um, but yeah, software is being targeted all the time. I, I'm with you, right? Like we've got to learn from it. And, th- and that's kind of what I start taking from, from these things is, all right, I'm doing a threat model on a new application or on a new service, or I'm like looking at some new code. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be asking more questions now about, you know, third party code as it's coming in, right? It's always been one of those, hey, is it an untrusted source? How do we protect against that? How do we make sure that, you know, backdoors don't get in, all that kind of thing? But there's there's kind of this renewed effort and it seems to swing around the spectrum, right? It swings around like security in general, depending on what the latest hack was or what the latest news is that's popped up. Uh, where we focus that attention. The hard thing is, is not being so hyper-focused that there's, you know, the whole OSI model and the stack, you know, you have to protect everything from, you know, physical security threats all the way up to like ephemeral ones that we're, that we're talking about here, right? Um, and authentication and authorization and OAuth and everything else that goes into it. So it's not a, it's not a single point and I expect us to get better at it. Um, because of the because of what's gone on in the last week, uh, it's just unfortunate that that's how the the industry is, right? I you know I go back to my days at like all the way back, you know, three years ago, whatever. Like when I worked at you know my first job, right? That's that's where we're at, right, Ken? Just say hey, three uh, years ago for your first <laughs> job. Yeah, for my first job. Okay. okay. Um, I'm also turning twenty five this year, so it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too, right? <laughs> Um, oh man, I'm getting so sidetracked, (laughs) but but the first, the first job that I had related to security was because of, uh, basically a security breach that a company got affected by not having a firewall in place. Right. Mm. And so all of a sudden their upper management decided they needed to focus a little bit more on security and they opened up, you know, a whole class of. You know, they, they basically started building a team that would have cycles to go out and manage a firewall and to, you know, protect against attacks and worms and everything else that was out there. Um, and at the time, that was just, you know, strict kind of desktop security stuff. But that's where that's where it happens, right? That's where the purse strings actually open up is when stuff like that happens to an organization when someone's affected. Um, I fully expect the government to, you know, all these different agencies will attempt to go out and hire more people. Yeah. But I don't like, I don't, I don't feel like there's a ton of people out there to be hired that have that sort of experience. So it goes back to this, like a supply chain of security professionals that we just, we don't really have right now. I mean, the industry is larger than it was three years ago, but it's still not huge. Yeah, it's not. And you know, actually, on that note, I guess that is one thing that's always kind of surprising. It has been surprising in the past when I did like defense contracting for the for the government mm-hmm. and um, noticing that the software built for like, so I'll just give you a concrete example. I, I looked at a, there was a mobile app, a person who was developing a mobile app for the government and they started, they own the company that did it and they started telling me about how, Oh yeah, we've got all these great 
developers and they, they cost so little to make this product and they're located in Russia, essentially. And I was like, who's using this tool? The government. Cool. So I've seen that scenario yeah. multiple times. I mean, that's not the first time. And I didn't, I guess it's just a ticking time bomb, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anytime you outsource development overseas, that this is going to probably make some people upset. May, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not, but whatever. I mean, anytime you outsource, it doesn't matter who your country is. Anytime you outsource government software development to a foreign entity, you don't think that introduces some risk? Like, of course it does. That's just common yeah. sense. Of course it is. I mean, if you like, I'd love to be naive and, you know, be like, oh yeah, the world's, you know, all's sunshine and rainbows and everybody's trying to do the right thing. But in reality, that's just not, it's just not the truth. Right. So um, yeah, it's, it's always been a little weird to me that that's been acceptable. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, we see the same thing here too, right? Like I, you know, some of the, the stuff that came to light with different leaks um, shows that, you know, our, like our own agencies and, you know, protection is, is doing things to products as they go out the door. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, if you're, if you're another country and you're developing here, you're probably putting some safeguards in place to make sure that it's not happening. It's not happening to you as well. Right. Like coming from, you know, the U S in that case, I, I don't know. Right, man. It's, it's, it's just a, such a difficult problem to solve. Cause we, we, we have this tendency to like, we want to develop things as cheaply as possible, which is you know, right. You know, get the best product for the lowest amount of money. That's kind of, you know, capitalism one one, right. Right. Um, but security is one of those things that we, we tend to lose focus on uh, when features and bottom line comes into play. And yeah, sadly it's going to bite us in the butt and, and we're going to have to learn from it, biting us in the butt over and over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's, there's really that much else to say on that. Right. Like it, it's just interesting that it plays out like that. I mean, we've talked about the, um, you know, supply chain attacks in the past. We've talked about some of those like libraries that are trusted, uh, you know, pulling libraries in from NPM and other places. But this was just a, you know, this is a case of it being built into a commercial tool and trusting a third party that ends up, yeah, ends up in a security issue. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's, um, you're right. And uh, this is not the first time or last time this is going to happen. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just think, I, I think that maybe the the timing of it all and the, the fact that it was, you know, big government agencies, why, why it really blew up and uh, the range of places affected by this. And then the follow-up attacks. What else do we have uh, on our agenda to talk about? I think you had another thing you wanted to mention. Um, uh, so the other thing that I had pulled up was the, um, OWASP timing attack. Um, there's a, yeah, hold on. Let me No man. You know, what's funny about that, dude. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's just funny that you mentioned this. Cause it was just last week that, um, 
I was having a discussion with someone at work and they were like, you know, um, timing attacks, because we were talking about like secure comparison operators to prevent timing attacks. And so like anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that is, uh, secure comparison function, take two separate things, strings usually, and compare them. And then, uh, but a secure comparison uh, will uh, do that in a constant time. So a way, meaning like, it should always take three seconds, we'll say, or three milliseconds or what, 300 milliseconds or whatever to do an operation. Well, that's uh, some, um, God, I really can't talk today. Doing that comparison in such a way that there is no time variation. So it's always the same amount of time to do a comparison on strings, regardless yeah. of how big the strings are or whatever. That's basically what I'm trying to say. So the the, the topic was how do, how do you weaponize that? And, and has that been weaponized? And it's just cracked me up because I pulled up John Poulin's like 14 minute video on timing attacks. Yep, I sent I it to him and he was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. I was like, yeah, man, you did great work. It's like 14 and a half minute video, which means for anybody who doesn't know, who doesn't make videos, that's like a couple weeks of work right there. That's really yep. difficult. So he wrote a, uh, it was really cool. Isn't he? cool. Maybe I'll just link to it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um, not, it wasn't so much about the tool. It was, it was just, um, proving that it is a viable way to attack um, an application who is not doing a secure time comparison and rather is just doing like a, you know, like an equal, equal equivalent uh, comparison or something like that, where it's just, you know, could t- it's going to have some time skew and variation. Um, how, dude, how did I get off on that? Topic? Oh yeah. Well, time gap theory, right? Like the, um, ah, right. So from OWASP, let me pull that up. There's a, there's a, a site and an application that they've developed um, to actually test out different timing attacks. Um, I, I mean, the interesting thing is, right, you know, most of the time we hear about timing attacks, it's because, you know, it's related to, oh, like a bank transfer or something like that, right? Like, you know. Hey, you go, you know, transfer some money out and then you spend it or whatever before it happens, right? That's like the the easiest way to to think about a time gap um, or a timing attack against an application. But there's so many other ways, like you're saying, Ken, that you can take advantage of it. Um, and there's information you can get back from an application fairly easily because of the way that those you know, those time gaps happen. Um, you know, something as simple as logging into an application and how the developers have um, implemented like their password hashing and their lookups against the database before they actually like hash the password that's presented to them can give you and can, can tell you whether or not an account actually exists uh, before the error is returned, right? You know, if, like depending on the, again, depending on the flow of the application, right? If you check for the existence of a user with that specific username first, and then you hash the password afterwards that's provided to you, but you return quickly because an, an account doesn't exist, but return after a long time because you actually check the password, that's a positive negative response, right? That's a user enumeration attack, but it's based on the timings that are associated with it. And, you know, we, we're putting up the time gap theory project from OWASP. I haven't been through all the timing attacks that are in there yet, uh, but it looks like a good resource to actually talk through that. I know this is a, 
I, like this is one of those questions that I get all the times when we start talking about password hashing and encryption, right? Like, uh, like how do how do you actually solve for these sorts of attacks? And it can be difficult. Exactly what you're saying, Ken. Huh? Yeah. No. I um, interesting. I, I'm trying to read through this actually right now. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of push that on you, right? Like. Um, but uh, no, no, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just more curious about like, where is the goal going? So it says teach you about where this is. Do you want the power to look at an app, user flow or app design and be able to tell the scenario has room for top toe issues? Okay. Um, so what's the goal here? They're just giving some awareness around these issues and then how to fix it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so time gap theory is just a, well, I mean, you know, they're talking about time of check, time of use, right? Like um, when you check something until you use it, right? The time in between those two different checks or those two different actions can be exploited. So that's where race conditions come into play. And I, I mean, it's easiest to think about and from this business use case. Um, and I don't know, I like, like I said, I haven't played with the app yet, that app code, um, but it does seem interesting to me. It seems like an area where, you know, further research is probably warranted. Because um, mm. I like I go back to the code review stuff, like how would we identify this in, in, in an application? Um, and actually talk yeah. to solving, right? At first glance, you would think, well, you could just look up any equivalency checks and then see, and then, you know, they're not, I mean, if they're not using obviously a secure comparison function, then flag it. But that may not be enough now that I'm thinking it through just because you may have a database lookup that is super long. You might have um, just some sort of search that, that might take a while um, trying to brainstorm some ideas where a simple secure operation or secure comparison function being implemented wouldn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, that's, that's the first, the first thing in my head is like, well, just use a secure comparison, but I don't think that that's always the answer. I think that there's, there's definitely some scenarios where you can introduce timing attacks that aren't necessarily going to be fixed by that, or even that, a um, a not an insecure, equivalency function may not even be the issue is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's not the only way that it, that it right. um, pops up. Right. Um, so even though that does, that will eliminate some of those. Um, but again, you know, like it goes back to that time of check time of use, right. Uh, like even probably some authorization issues around that. Like I just, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it was just an interesting project to me that they had pushed it that far. Like, I mean, it definitely looks like they've 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 put a bunch of time into developing. Okay, here's some ways that it will manifest. You can learn about them a little easier than just, uh, you know, in the past where we've been. Hey, yeah, you you know, you've got to be concerned about timing attacks in these specific scenarios. Um, but now there's a resource that you can actually play with some of it to see how it would manifest. So again, like this stuff that. Um, John was doing, you know, a few years ago and his, his video is great. Um, but there's, 
you know, one more resource resource there and somebody's doing some more research into it. Yeah, no, that's definitely a cool project. Um, which, yeah, that's actually something I could, that's kind of something that I want to do next year is dig into a little bit more of these projects and maybe just demo them on the podcast and, you know, yeah. give people some exposure to, to running them and, you know, what the purpose is and, and give some real sort of re- basic reviews on the software um, or project or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. Just cause some, you know, that's the point of the podcast is to condense people. So people don't have to go do this stuff. They can just hear it from us. So, yep. Yes. Yep. Well, good. I, I mean, along those lines, right. I don't know. And I we've, we've only got about 10 minutes left. Right. Um, but um, I, I mean, if you don't want to, yeah. If we don't have anything else to cover, like I know we had talked about showing Threat Dragon. It sounds like you've actually had some experience there. And I don't, yeah. I don't know if you want to dig into that or if, you know, there's another topic that you want to cover for today. Yeah, I'm happy to dig into it as soon as I can find it. <laughs> my computer's running <laughs> super slow today. So, you know, let me um share my screen here. Figure out how to share a screen. Man, yep, that was like definitely... Oh wait, hold on. Sorry. Uh, come on, Thread Dragon. Oh, it's not Thread Dragon's fault. It's mine. My computer's, I should say. Um, yeah, no. So I've been using this at work while well, this is booting up, and I'm trying to share it. I'll just. I've been using this just to um, give it a feel. So I want to give the uh, real quick. Just I heard some initial complaints about Thread Dragon, and um, I was curious what like to get an, you know, to, for people to expand upon their actual issues, because when I used it for work, I didn't have any problems. In fact, um, yeah, it's probably easier. I've heard people say they use draw.io for, um, diagrams. That's probably easier, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I didn't have any issue drawing diag. Dude, this thing is, by the way, still trying to load up. This is insane. Like, I don't know what is going on with my, my machine right now, but, um, it's electron don't worry about it (laughs) oh my gosh yeah that was by the way ksenia's electron talk was super interesting to me for sure um just because i live in that world um but anyways so yeah i was using this for threat modeling at work and i had no issues whatsoever diagrams were easy to make and um some of the complaints were that it crashed a lot and um the 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 files that you saved um, your project in were corrupted. Those were the two main, um, basically bugs, like functional bugs, not necessarily that the software itself isn't valuable. So I continued using it. I probably did around three, two or three projects um, with this that were of, no, no, no. So diagram threat model wise, I probably created four, but it was actually on like two or three separate projects. and I didn't have any issue with any of them. My diagrams were of pretty substantial size. And um, long story short, what happens is, and again, I'll show you here in a moment, but as you create your diagram, one thing that's uh, nice and not nice. So the nice part that you, as you create your diagram, you can click on something, you can give it um, some details about like it's uh, threats. So you can add a threat to a specific um 
piece of functionality. So for instance, if a system is doing something uh, that crosses a trust boundary and maybe uh, it does it insecurely, like maybe we'll say it's got communication, it's communicating not over um, HTTPS or TLS internally, right? And for your organization, maybe that's a threat. Well, you can flag it, put the threat in there. And what's really nice is when you go to export your project, you'll have each of the systems that are potentially vulnerable or you know have some risk highlighted in red. And then you'll have a uh, like a list of the issues. The not nice part about it though, is that um, when you're, well, anyways, this is the, the not nice part that other people told me, told me they didn't like was when you go in and, uh, or modifying your diagram, you kind of do have to click on, I think you have to, I think the issue is they said you had to click on the assets to actually um, be able to see the threats. But I, I don't know that that's true. That looks like there's a, well, let me just fire it up because it actually is up now. So let me just show everyone. It'll be easier than talking through it. Let's see here. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, know, I know for me, right? Like the, the, threat modeling workflow that I have um, mm -hmm. depends, uh, you know, pretty heavily on the, you know, stride and um, dread from Microsoft um, as far as identifying uh, like the, the different vulnerabilities and exploits. And, um, and then uh, the, the biggest issue was like how, well, I, I mean, step into it, but for me, it was just kind of how prescriptive Threat Dragon was. And so it was hard to take what I currently do and push it into it, right? It, it requires kind of a rework of my own methodology, which is part of the reason that I didn't end up using it. But that's just me, so. Yeah, I'm not a um, by any means a threat modeling expert, um, clearly. But uh, yeah, I didn't have any issues. And this is, by the way, that was hilarious what Ken Teller wrote. I want to hear about other people's problems, but I didn't have any. This thing won't load. Yeah. That's funny. But the thing is, like, uh, my computer's running really slow, so it's not Fair Dragon's fault. Um, so I'm just going to create a completely new threat model here. Um, yeah. Just put it on, uh, I don't know, desktop. Seems fine. New model. Cool. So to use it, essentially, you <clears throat> you edit your <clears throat> diagram. So I'm going to just give it some information um, at CK Tricky, uh, at Seth Law. Um, hello, super cool stuff. Um, all right, so I'll save that. Um, and then I will go back to... Oh God, I'm going to, I'm going to screw this up on, 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 uh, um, on air. So I have to go back in and edit and hit a new diagram and I'll make it a, uh, test diagram. Add that and then save. And then I'll go into my uh, little test diagram here and start messing around. So, um, I like to, what I was doing was creating like these actors would be, for instance, uh, you know, systems. So I would say like, uh, I don't know, uh, solar, and, solar winter. and this would be uh, Seth's machine. Um, and we'll put a uh, 
trust boundary. I don't know. I'm just making crap up. There's a, oh man, see, I don't know what I'm doing. It disappeared. Uh. Yeah. I'm, I'm not great with, uh, um, that's, that's what, so that's one thing I think that maybe could use a little, it's just, yeah. So you can see it's a little at times tricky to kind of, um, move these bits around. Um, that's really freaking annoying. So yeah, that's another thing too. It's, it's pretty, not a big deal, but if you, um, if you want to like move it around and stuff, you know, you can add these additional point, um, point points to redirect and all that stuff. So nothing super interesting. If you go to settings, you could just say like, uh, oh, shit, see, this is, this is exactly why people, <laughs> I swear I don't have these. I, 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 I got a love too that I talked you into doing a live demo. <laughs> I know while I'm during, super during, tired during, during the podcast. I'm sure everybody's just giving me shit too. They're just like, "Oh, it's so yeah. easy." Okay, oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Ken Toler's convinced you're, you're drawing pics in MS Paint. Yep, that's basically MS what's Paint. going on here. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Fifty. I don't know. I'm just gonna give it anything. And anyways, the cool thing is like you can kind of say like um. I don't know, like uh, Ken's evil server. And you can kind of talk about your, like, uh, what I would do is kind of say, like, here's a process, right? Like, the update process starts. Right? So now we can kind of say, um, by the way, you can mark things out of scope. You say, like, this is the, uh, the update process is firing up, right? And then you just kind of have like a data flow. You can, again, you can do this however you want. I'm just kind of giving some weird haggard half-assed version of how to do this. So I hear beeps, by the way, on Slack or like little chimes. I am sure people are shit talking right now. So thanks a lot. <laughs> Last time I tried to do anything for you ingrates. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, nope. Yeah, it's, it's it's just trolling. Don't worry about it. Sure, I deserve it. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of um, uh, interesting. You can edit threats now, so I could say like uh, I don't know, edit a threat uh, like not signed update or something or unsigned. Gosh, I can't use words today. Um, I guess it'd be like repudiation, would you say? Yeah. Seems fair. fair. Um, high, I don't know, because everything's high. High severity. Uh, mm-hmm. No validation of signatures and completely open to uh, tamper. Uh, see, now it's falls under tampering. To <laughs> slipping in malicious updates. Cool. Mitigations. Sign the package. Cool. So now when I go to, I'm going to exit out of this diagram editing. Let's see here if I can remember how to do any of this. So you can um, save it, like save it state, uh, and then just exit out. And then like uh, it has a nice little PDF uh, you can use. You can also um, use the print to do the, you know, if you want to print out, but um I just want to get the report so I can show kind of what it might look like. So we'll save it on the desktop and then I'm going to stop sharing my screen and then I will share it again here in a moment. Here we go. All right. 
And it's really, honestly, that's, it's, excuse me. It's honestly really that simple. It's, there's not a ton more functionality that I'm not showing, you know, it, this is, it's, it is what it is. It's a threat modeling, pretty, pretty simple piece of software. So, um, anyway, so you've got your report, uh, you can sort of see that, uh, there's like a little description here of, um, the threat that I put in there on the highlighted red, uh, server or uh, process there. And, uh, uh, put in a trust boundary. We've got a few, uh, machines, actors, if you will. So that's, um, yeah, that's really simple. Kind of, I don't know if there's anything that, um, else to really show, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I used it. I thought it was pretty easy. Um, didn't have really any problems with it, but yeah, you know, I think that, I mean, that you got to get used to the diagramming a little bit of yeah. the software. But yeah, yeah, and I mean, it looks like it could be you know useful for pushing that out, right? Like and adding the threats, as long as you understand where that where that fits in your process. And and I know that's. I mean, I know for a lot of people, that's what it is, right? They're not quite sure what threat modeling is means for them or for their organization. And so like the introduction of a tool before you have some sort of an idea what you want to get out of it um, is premature, right? Um, and it's not going to, it's not going to solve it for you, right? Like any of the modeling software is not going to solve it for you. Um, like realistically, it feels like a simplified mind map uh, what you were just looking at, Ken, as far as, mm -hmm. hey, these are the, yeah, these are the actors, these are the threats that are associated, these are the processes, um, and, you know, generate me a report, and then we can start talking about mitigations and where that actually fits and what we have in place. Um, but, you know, if you're just, if you just want to catalog all the threats, yeah, it looks like it, it could do the job for you for sure. Yeah, it's not... Um... It's not a man. I can't even type. My computer's going so slow right now. I can't even type in Slack. So my my messages are out of sequence. By the way, <laughs> they're not. Even, they're not. Even, I'm responding, trying to respond to chats from like up above, and it's like way below where I meant to originally post. I don't know what's going on, man. Probably a solar winds hack. It's yeah um, it's against um, your server where you're not running solar winds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, it is pretty simple, uh, but it's also free and it's not like durable. So I don't know, man. I, I draw.io is draw.io is nice too. I don't really, I don't know. Make do whatever you want. It's, it, I think it's nice. I think it's all right, and it's cool that somebody put the time into it. And maybe yeah. it'll get uh, even more improved with time. I'm sure it will. Usually, uh, as long as people keep plugging away at open source, it'll get better. Yep. So. Yep. Well, and that was always it. Like, I mean, the other one that we should look at at some point is the Microsoft threat modeling tool. Um, but I know, like, I don't know how updated that's been over the last couple of years where it required Windows at one point, And I think it still does. Um, it kind of it fell out of favor with a lot of people because it, it did force that onto, you know, that one restriction. Um yeah, but you know, e either any way you look at it, you should be doing some sort of a threat model. You should be doing modeling, um, and you should listen to Stefan's talk on modeling from apps or from the Midwinter Nights Con, because he talks about modeling other things, not just threat, but even like maturity modeling and some other things that you can do 
to measure where you're at and determine, you know, what needs to be done. Um, any other talks Dude. that you wanted to highlight yeah. from uh, Midwinter Nights? Um, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of talks. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think we're wrapping up towards the end here, so I don't need to... I don't need to, uh, I think, recap too much there. Um, yeah, just an interesting uh, set of talks. They're all up on our playlist, which if I... Can you put that on the, inter- on the, the internet? <laughs> on the <laughs> on internet? Chat? This is where we're at, by the way, because I'm just... I don't know, man. This year has just been... Since our last podcast of the year, um, yeah, just 2020 has been an interesting year, I think, to say the least. And uh, man, I'm I'm been ready for some some time off and some some rest. And uh, in the new year, you and I are coming back strong with some new AV setups and some more content. We're gonna get a little bit more in the weeds on some technical bits. And uh, yeah, but so Seth put the um, uh, link up there for our playlist. I think there's. Man, there's a lot of videos on that playlist. Uh, it took a while to get all those uploaded, but um, they are up there, and uh, we'll start promoting them as well on uh, on social media. On the social media. On the social media. On the social medias that the kids use, the Snapchats. <laughs> no, it's just going to be one 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 long TikTok from yeah, Ken yeah. dancing as he you know posts different. Videos to Midwinter Nights Con. One of them TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the kids are using. Zima hula hoops and TikTok. That's what they're all about. No, but um, yeah, man, I, I just I'm dude, I'm I'm I know you're feeling the same way. And uh yeah, did you, Q4, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Did I what? Yeah. Did, did you did, were you gonna mention why we were off air for a couple of weeks or it's totally fine if you don't i just wasn't sure if you wanted to mention it or not i was just i yeah like it was family stuff going on my uh my my son broke his leg skiing i I know everybody knows i live in utah and like we go um, but he broke his leg skiing and had a bunch of complications from that break um i don't want to get into it too much but basically we spent and we we spent a good 10 days plus in the hospital um, due to that and just crazy set of circumstances. And so if, yeah, 2020, man, 2020. Yeah, exactly. You know, but happy to, you know, have a community around me and people that are supportive and helpful. And yeah, just was, it was, wasn't a fun 10 days. That's, you know, that's, that's all I'll say. Bro. If I took one thing away from, um, that whole thing was that people really, uh, care about you so that and your family um that was amazing to see the community and like yeah this is yeah. this is a community and it, it was really cool to see how people came together and supported your family yeah, and everything it's, and it's, yeah it's, it was awesome right like i you know i know we're, we've got like a couple different groups there's absolute appsec and you know i was pretty quiet on there when things happened um obviously we kind of present more of a normal kind of, you know, research and podcast perspective, but some of the other kind of hacker groups that were associated with the guys were super supportive or, you know, the guys and gals and kept reaching out. And it's, it's nice to have like, you know, people behind you in those, in those situations. Cause I like, you know, 
midway through that, I was just at the end, right? Like it just, we're talking lack of sleep. We're talking lack of, you know, even just self-care was a difficult thing. So yeah, yeah I appreciate it. Loved all you guys that were helping out and, you know, have my back. I, I really appreciate it. Right. And I appreciate the community. I appreciate like how we take care of each other. Uh, just thanks. So. Yeah, man, it was really cool. People really, uh, it's cool to see people care and, 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 um, you know, try to make sure that you guys were good. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only, uh, you know, 2020 has been an interesting year. We can wrap it up <laughs> and uh, sure. start fresh in the new year. I know we're going to be offline for a couple weeks um, as we take some rest and yeah. hit it really hard in the new year with new speakers, new content. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that being said, right. Um, as you know, if you've got, if you're interested in coming on the podcast and have a research topic that you want to talk about or a specific you know, uh, topic that you want us to talk about, please, please, you know, join the Slack channel, send it over to us, you know, reach out on the social medias um, and, and let us know. I know we've got some emails from people that are interested in talking about things. I saw one recently, I think from, uh, it was the Stackhawk folks. It, you know, maybe interesting to have somebody come on from them um, as they're doing dynamic assessment and you know CI/CD pipelines, right? All that sort of stuff is super interesting to us, and we you know we want that interaction. We want to you know we want to present things that are interesting to you as well as to us. So uh, please reach out and let us know. Uh, yeah, that's what we're here for. Cool. Sweet. Uh, well, that's a wrap on 2020. Like we said, this is the last podcast for 2020 for everyone. So just ignore everything. Go have happy holidays. And, you know, we'll see everybody online and in the new year. Peace. Have a good one. Okay. Thank Ciao. you.